Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How you doing today? This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics with Throughout All Ages Ministry. And we're here to intellectually think about arguments and why do we stand on the worldview we look at or that we understand. So we need to look at science, history, archaeology, and of course we need to look at the reality that we live in. And does it make sense when we weigh out our worldview too many times? We find us going with the majority. Too many times we find ourselves going with our friends instead of diving into the actual intellectual argument to see why we believe in what we believe in. I stand on Christianity because I believe Christianity has more justifiable answers to the critical life that we live in than any other worldview that's out there. So today... In the three camps of arguments of apologetics, that is defending Christianity, we talked about the evidentialist argument of archaeology, prophecy, and miracles. Today our discussion will be on the cosmological constant, or should I say the cosmological argument, contingency, and the teleological or the anthropic principle. I would like to keep in mind in all these arguments we talk about, uh, a starting point called this universe, that this universe had a starting point, or any universe you would like to explain. The reason I say anyone you would like to explain, it just kicks the can somewhere else that needs a starting point. What was the starting point in your worldview? The majority of theologians and scientists has God outside of the universe or nothingness. To me, it is absurd to use nothing to produce something, although majority of the atheists, the scientists, will use that starting point of nothingness or try to use a different type of nothingness to get to the very worldview they want to believe in. Now, I want to talk about the argument of the first mover, the first mover to motion and of course, when we talk about motion, we mean change. It was Thomas Aquinas in his argument from the first mover to motion points to a potential state or to an actual state. And this is something we've talked about, how Aristotle suggests when things are potentially changing in motion, they must come to some actuality. Well, Thomas Aquinas uses motion to denote change. He argues if there are antecedents 
or something pushing an object to its full potential, or as something or someone that does not change. Let me say this again. Let me see if I can get this right. If Aristotle would say that something is pushing to its actuality, then the mover must be ultimately be something or someone that does not change. Hence, the prime mover or the first mover would be God. Because God is self-sufficient, unchanged, the prime mover. When we talk about the argument from causation, the cosmological argument that some would call the Kalam argument, that every cause has an effect. This really means that everything that begins to exist, now listen to that because it's key, everything that begins to exist has a cause. We notice this as we look around. If the effect is the chair, well, what caused it? If the effect is the atomic bomb, what caused that effect to go off like that? If the effect is something simple like drinking water down your throat, what caused these effects? We know the cause must be greater than the effect. The the effect only describes what the cause is doing. Also, looking at this universe, when we see it, we see entropy. It's moving towards disorder. The universe is winding down. And every effect is winding down. This tells us time was involved working with this universe from its very beginning. The universe is dwindling down because it's had a beginning, a starting point. Now, everything that begins to exist has a cause. This cause must be a maximum supreme being, not just something but someone outside of this universe, someone all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, and this someone points to the theist God, ultimately points to a God who makes choices, personal, and this is the key point, that who, who, has, never, who has never began to exist. This is the Christian God. Now, if Nothing, this is a quote from Dan Baker. Listen to this because we all, we all want to say this like, okay, so then where did God come from, right? This is what Dan Baker, the atheist, said. If nothing comes from nothing, then God cannot exist because God is not nothing. If that premise is true, that nothing comes from nothing, and if God is something, then you have just shot yourself in the foot. Now, Dan Baker has done is asked the question that so many people ask. Who created God, right? If everything has a cause to the effect, then who caused God? But remember, if nothing comes from nothing, then who created God? You and Dan Baker must remember the proposition. Remember, this is key. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. God, by his nature, has always been. This is why he is described as a maximum supreme being. There cannot be anyone greater than him. And so we must always look at that when we're looking at the cause and effect argument. The third argument we want to talk about is the argument from contingency, right? Contingency is defined as dependent for existence 
or probable or subject to chance or accident. So we're talking about necessary beings and contingent beings. The argument from contingency. If all things in this universe are things that don't have to exist, if contingent things depend on other things to exist, and these other things depend on other things to exist, why do they exist at all? You see, we look at this universe and we see things, stuff like anthropology, zoology, the cosmological and biological stuff. All this stuff is contingent wherever we look in the universe. What we see is a universe of things that are dependent on other things. Ultimately, these things could only have been if there was something or someone who by their nature are necessary in any given world. It follows if all things in the universe are contingent or unnecessary, then they must depend on a non-contingent being to sustain them, to, to sustain them. And we see this with abstract objects like mathematics, laws of logic, And we'll talk more about these abstract objects next week. But for some reason, these abstract objects are not something we discovered, but they've always been. They're universal. So uh, what makes them out there and keeps them out there, even if there were no minds to discover them? So the question arises here is why is there something rather than nothing, right? Why is there something rather than nothing? Well, the philosopher uh, Gottfried Leibniz, a man who was a universal genius, he died about 300 years ago in the uh, early, in the late 1700s. He made an important contribution to the fields of metaphysics, epistemology, logic, philosophy of religion, as well as mathematics, uh, physics, geology, and jurisprudence. Now, Leibniz, in his contingency argument, puts it down like this. Everything that exists has an explanation of its existence. Number one, everything that exists has an explanation of its existence. If the universe has an explanation of its existence, the explanation is God. The universe exists. So number four, therefore, The explanation of the universe existence is God. So let's follow Leibniz's thought here. He says that everything that exists has an explanation of its existence. See, Leibniz understood that everything we see and know has an explanation. This explanation is not why, but how. Imagine how uh, incredulously that would be if we would be looking and someone told you that Mount Rushmore was discovered rather than intentionally carved. We would want an explanation. We would want to know how was it carved and does that make sense? Or the stopwatch found on the mountain peak came from nature millions of years ago. We would want an explanation, not why, but how. Or letters that washed up on the shore that read, I love you. 
And the explanation for this was random and chance. We would want to know an explanation, not of why, but how. How did it come about to read by chance, I love you? And we'll get more into this in our second part when we talk about apologetics and the classic argument. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85% of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Join Creation Fellowship's Antees Apologetics Speaker Series Thursdays at 6.30 p.m. via Zoom. First Peter verse 3 chapter 15 says, To always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Creation Fellowship's Antees brand name apologetic speakers will do just that. Equip you with the knowledge and tactics to explain your Christian faith. Get equipped Thursday nights at 6.30. Learn more on Facebook and YouTube at Creation Fellowship's Antee or email Santee at gmail.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona, on K-Praise. Here we are in our second part of talking about classic apologetics. And we're talking about Levinas and his contingent argument. And so he began to talk about this, this world that we have, this universe, that everything that exists has an explanation of its existence. So the explanation is because of A, you have B. And because of B, you have C. And because of C, you have D. And in other words, if you had a car and you said, how did that car come to be? You would say, well, the frame, the body frame was made out of steel. And uh, the tires came from rubber. Okay, so where did the steel and the rubber come from? Well, the steel came from chemicals that we used. Okay, so where did the chemicals come from? And you begin to flow your way all the way back until you get to this uh, part where it needs to stop at the end of the universe of the Big Bang. And the next important question after that is, okay, so where did this universe come from? And this is what, this is what Lebanese does. He says, now, there still must be Something or someone by its very nature, a necessary being that exists necessarily that causes all things to exist. So now we ha- we are here at the Big Bang and his second part. Or in Genesis, God says that God created the universe. Yet if this universe has an explanation of its existence, the explanation is God. Why? Because, again, going to the very beginning, if it is not this maximum supreme being, then your answer more than likely would be that it came from nothing. And there we find absurdity hitting the wall. So yet if the universe has an explanation, number two, of its existence, the explanation is God. When the universe began, time, space, and matter came into being. 
Nothing within the universe could have created the universe, and we know this scientifically. It had to be someone outside of the universe. Genesis 1-1 tells us that in the beginning, God created, and here we have time being created, that he created time, space, and matter. Genesis 1-1, he created the heavens, the cosmos, space, and he created the earth and its parts, which is matter. So we know this universe, it has time, space, and matter, and we know this maximum supreme being, which is the Christian God, is timeless, he's eternal, he's spaceless, he is spirit, and he is immaterial. And so we have something greater than this universe and something more powerful than all the power in this universe to be able to create such a universe. So if this universe exists... And we all can agree that this universe exists, part three. Part four, therefore, the explanation for the universe existence is God. And I think he does good to tell us this. Now, I want to get the teleological, the teleological argument or the anthropic principle. You see, when we talk about subatomic particles, when we talk about matter, stars, and the diverse elements that make this periodic table, ultimately, if there were not a cosmological constant, they would not exist. It's not that they are just a few broadly defined constants that may have resulted by chance. No, the scientist, the astrophysicist says there's more than a hundred of these constants that hold up this universe, that hold up this earth that we call life. This strongly points to an intelligent designer. Namely, it points to the Christian God. We have a constant in quantities with precise values that fall into an exceedingly narrow life-permitting range. And if any of these numbers were altered... No physical world will exist. Interactive life of any kind would not exist. And this is why Sir Martin Rees, a British cosmologist, a cosmologist says, and an astrophysicist says, whenever the physicist looks, they see examples of fine tuning. He says, wherever physicists look, they see examples of fine tuning. For instance, we see gravity. Gravity holds us firmly on this ground. It keeps the moon orbit around the earth and the earth orbiting around the sun. It draws rain from the sky and causes the tides that act like ecosystems. We have the rotation of the entire Milky Way galaxy. If the values were to be moved by a fraction, it would cause a hostile environment to life. This gravity, the force of gravity is determined by a gravitational constant. If this constant is varied by one part in 10 to the 60th part, none of us would exist. So you take a number one and you put 60 parts to it, 60 zeros to it. And if it's moved one way or the other, we would not have life as we know it. The universe would have expanded and thinned out so rapidly that no stars would have formed and life could not exist or would have collapsed back on itself and we would not have the universe 
even at its beginning point. If we talk about the expansion rate, the expansion rate for the cosmological constant is one part in 10 to the 120th. You know how many parts that is? That is a trillion, 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 10 trillion parts to one, that if this universe expanded too rapidly or too slowly on these parts, in either case, the universe would be here, wouldn't be here as we know it. No stars, no life, no planets, no chemistry. It's hard to believe that the atheists and the, and the scientists says that this is random chance and chaos. I mean, if you were to take a measuring tape and throw this measuring tape across the universe, 46.5 billion light years from Earth to the observable end of the horizon of the universe, that if you were to move any of these increments one way or the other we would not have life as we know it. So it's funny, and I find it interesting. What I find interesting is the scientist who believes in random chance and chaos, that he expects the laws of physics to, to be simple, precise, logical, harmonious, and most importantly, intelligible. In every experiment they perform, in every theory they develop, and every law they discover is based on these expectations. But why should the universe obey laws if there is no lawgiver? Why should the universe obey all these laws of nature if there is no lawgiver? You see, we can't, they can't answer that question. The teleological arguments points to a lawgiver who is consistent and has an order to his nature and ultimately a necessary being. I like what God says to Job as he looks at him. He says, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. And here Job and God were going on on this conversation of all these reasons. Why God? Why God? Why God? So God looks at Job and he says, prepare yourself like a man. I will question you. I will question you and I will demand of you to answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You tell me if you have understanding. And he goes on to say in Isaiah forty-five eighteen. For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, the God himself that formed the earth and he made it and he established it. He created it not in vain and he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. If you think about this, here God is describing what he did in this world that we live in. And he did it when a world was very primitive. This was around 7800 BC. That's 800 years before Jesus came as a historical figure on the first cent- uh, century of AD. God was already talking about this earth that we lived in, and he didn't create it in vain. In Colossians 1.17, he says, For by God all things were created that are in heaven and in earth, 
visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. That is, Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, this whole universe and everything outside of this universe, that all things consist of him. I want you to see that the Christian worldview has a justifiable answer why we stand on Christianity. And we don't have to shrink our heads when it comes to the most critical questions of life. So you need to ask yourself this question. When we see the universe that we live in, does it look like, one, that it was necessity, that this universe had to come into existence? Was it necessary? No, it wasn't necessary. How about did it get here by chance? If we look at all the elements and we look at everything that we talked about today, do you really think it got here by random chance? I mean, we haven't even talked about the human body, but no, I don't think it's chance. So you only got one more answer and that's it. It had to come by design. And this is why Christianity points to the Christian God Not just the theistic God of any sort, but the theistic God ultimately points to the Christian God that every Christian knows there is no other God but him. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics throughout all ages. And thanks for being with us as we talked about the three camps of evidential, classical, and next week, will be the presupposition argument. Have a good day. That's a take. And this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries.com. 1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.